it was by no means pretty. It was by no means perfect. And there are plenty of things that, to criticize from this Kings performance. But the fact is they pulled this game out, 117-110 against the Hawks, and they fought, they scrapped their way back into the game when it just was going absolutely horrible, horribly in the first half. And they were able to pull it back. And that's all we've been asking, right? After all of these blowout losses, blowout after blowout after blowout, when we lose, we lose big. All we were asking is that the Kings find a way to make it competitive. And they did that against Minnesota and lost. They didn't do it against Portland. And then this one, they did it and ended up pulling out the win. And I think you can look at this game and the Portland game, and they're pretty similar especially the way the first half went. But the difference is the Kings made adjustments and fought back in the second half. You can point at De'Aaron Fox as the reason the Kings won this game, and he was great, draining eight threes, a career high, 31 points. Like, he was amazing, and he's a superstar, and that's one of the reasons the Kings won this game. But you look at the game against Portland, and De'Aaron Fox drained a career high at the time, seven three-pointers, which, I mean, that's incredible that he set back-to-back career high highs in uh, three-pointers, and Sabonis was getting his inside in this game. Sabonis had a very efficient 25 points and played extremely well, especially in the offensive end, but in, after that Portland game, I, I said the Kings just couldn't get a stop if they just got any stops and made it just kind of close by the end of that game, by the last six minutes of the fourth quarter, and then you hand the ball off to your two star players in De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis, you're probably going to win that game. And Fox and Sabonis are probably going to win that game for you. And they just weren't able to get any stops. And in this one, that was the difference. They got those stops. And then they handed the ball to Fox and Sabonis and Malik Monk and they were able to come away with the win. And in this one, the Kings threw out different personnel. Against Portland, they just kept going with Kevin Herter and Harrison Barnes, and in this one, Mike Brown decided to switch things up. And I feel like when he was asked about a starting lineup change, he seemed a little more open to it uh, by his answer. Obviously, he wasn't giving anything away, but he sounded a little more open to it before the game. This was before the game. And... Then you in you have Harrison Barnes playing 12 minutes and Kevin Herter playing 10 minutes in this one. And, I mean, it felt like the playoffs where, you know, that happened against the Warriors. And we've seen it more and more this season and we've seen it more and more lately where those guys are just playing less and less minutes and getting pulled after their first stints and then just not going back in the game. Kevin Herter did pick up an injury in the second half. I believe it was a hand injury, which is part of the reason he didn't come back in. But I'm not sure he would have come back in anyways, to be honest. Because him and Barnes came out after their first stints in the first half and never went back in in the first half. And Barnes, same thing happened in the second half. And so I, I, I don't know if Kevin Herter would have gone back in regardless of injury. Mike Brown threw Chris Duarte out there for 25 minutes. He put Davion Mitchell in there for 13 minutes. No Keon Ellis. And we had Alex Len for 13 minutes. I'm so glad Alex Len is back. Uh, JaVale McGee was just really struggling. And Alex Len just provides so much more stability out there. And he's 
one of my favorite bench players in the league. Like I've always said since we've had, uh, since Alex Lund's first stint on the Kings, I've loved him. Him and Lyles are like two of my favorite bench players that the Kings have ever had. And he made an immense impact defensively and was making the correct plays offensively. He ended the game with two points, four assists with zero turnovers, added in three rebounds. He didn't get credit for a single block, but the amount of shots he altered, I, it, it's a very high number. Davion Mitchell picked up the defensive player of the game chain. And he got the Keon Ellis minutes. Keon Ellis hadn't been uh, great defensively in the past few games. And I think where Keon was struggling was with his strength. And that's not a problem Davion has. Davion's a very strong defender. But also, I think Davion matches up pretty well against Trey Young. And he took advantage of his opportunity. And we always knew that Davion would get an opportunity at some point. Because at some point, Keon would get pulled and and Davion would get his opportunity. And he took advantage in this one. And the same can be said for Chris Duarte. The Kings just couldn't stop anyone on the Hawks in the first half. At one point in the first quarter, it was 31-8. to eight. The starting lineup, the, the defense from the starting lineup was horrible. Once the bench came in, it got a little better we kind of salvaged the first quarter because we gave up 31 points extremely quickly and then held them at bay a little bit to make a comeback and to make it a 36 23 first quarter but it felt like there was zero effort on the glass we were absolutely getting out rebounded and the hawks are an extremely good offensive rebounding team with clint capella onyeka kongwu they have jalen johnson Capella had six offensive rebounds. Jalen Johnson had two and 15 rebounds total. And you had Sadiq Bey getting five offensive rebounds. And as a whole, they picked up 18 offensive rebounds to the Kings' five offensive rebounds. But it didn't feel like most of them were just the Hawks being bigger or more athletic. There were just so many lazy plays. I thought Malik Monk was having a horrible rebounding game. Harrison Barnes in his 12 minutes with the, you know, classic zero rebound performance. I've talked about his rebounding a lot. It's horrible. But the Kings are usually, you know, for most of the season, they've been a good rebounding team, defensive rebounding team. The best, at least up to a, a certain point. It may have changed in the last few games because in these last few games, they haven't been good on the defensive glass. And even on some of the rebounds that the Kings were able to pick up, I was like, we just got lucky that there were no, there was no Hawks player going for that ball because it would just drop into the middle of the floor and everyone would kind of just stand there, you know, not moving their legs and just like reaching out for it. That's a problem the Kings have. It's like in hockey where, you know, you got to move your feet and just keep moving your feet, keep skating. And that's the same here. It's like you got to actually move your legs towards the ball. Don't just reach out for it. You got to go get it. And that was just something the Kings did extremely poorly. I mean, we we couldn't get stops. And then when we finally forced a miss or when the Hawks just happened to miss, we couldn't get the rebound. 
And those are always killer when you're like, we, we need a stop. You know, you're trying to chip away at these massive leads. I mean, you can't keep letting teams get up so big on you because it's hard in the NBA to come back. Like it may be a game of runs, but that just means if you're going on a run and you're like, okay, we finally got it to within five, it was 48 to 43 at one point. Well, then the Hawks just go on a run and it's those offensive rebounds and then kickouts to three point shooters that are absolutely killer to momentum. Also, the Kings couldn't hit free throws, which has been an ongoing problem. They shot eight for 15 from the free throw line in this game, 53%. That is absolutely horrible. And they were allowing the Hawks to get to the free throw line a lot. And the Hawks shot a lot better, 84% from the free throw line. It was really disappointing because the bench got us back into it. Like I said, 48 to 43 is a five point game. Trey Lyles was hitting threes. Malik Monk was making things happen. You had Davion out there making smart plays. He still has his limitations offensively, but he was making smart plays. And then you just have like more of the starters come back in. And all of a sudden, that all that hard work the bench did just went away. It just went back up to, I think it was 18 points at, uh, at the half that the Hawks were leading by. The Kings were turning the ball over, and the Hawks were capitalizing. And even at the start of the second half, it just it when the Kings were scoring, it still felt just so impossible to really chip away and get back into the game because they just couldn't get stops with the that starting lineup that they had out there. It really is wild how inconsistent defensively that starting unit is because when you look at the statistics for that five-man lineup they are really good like they have a good defensive rating and they have a really good net rating but then you have stretches like we've had in the past five six games where it's just been absolutely horrible the entire time they're just letting shooters get unbothered three-point shots DeJounte Murray was absolutely on fire and it just felt like nobody was bothering him on his shots. He was just catching, just smoothly going up and knocking him down. And so obviously there's a bit of luck to that. DeJounte Murray isn't the best three-point shooter, and he got into a flow, even with guys contesting. But at the same time, that's a theme that we've seen from the Kings' defense of letting guys get into a flow, and then it doesn't really matter if you're contesting the shots because they're just filled with confidence, and they're able to knock down tougher and tougher shots as they continue to make them. And the Kings, again, were settling for three-point shots, and they started 0 of 8. And it also felt like at the start of the second half, like the three-point shots from the bench, the bench got us back into it with their threes. But then at the start of the second half, again, it felt like we were just trying to get the entire lead back or cut into the entire deficit at once with these three-point shots and it i think the most frustrating part is the transition offense where the kings have struggled this season at times they've struggled to fill lanes correctly and then i think it also falls on deer and fox who just sometimes he just doesn't push the ball in transition like he should he's just kind of dribbling it up, surveying the court, and then trying to make these long passes instead of using one of his best attributes, which is his speed, to push up the court quickly, disrupt the defense, bend the defense, and then create open shots 
from there. Because even in these man advantage scenarios, if you're not putting pressure on the rim, it's pretty easy for the opposing team's defense to guard everyone if, if you're not looking to score at the rim. And so I thought that was a change that Fox made. And he made it extremely quickly because there were two opportunities at the start of the third quarter where he didn't push the ball up in transition. And we ended up taking like bad three-point shots. And then I th something just changed. And he, and he decided, you know, I'm going to actually attack the rim. And so there were two more transition opportunities. He pushed the ball and he got to the free throw line on the first one. And then the second one, he got an and one opportunity. And it was getting to the rim that got us back into the game, not the three point shots. And that's something that the Kings have to be better at is not relying on the three ball to get you back into games. They ended up shooting or hitting 17 threes in this game and shooting a very respectable 38%. But I want them to continue to actually put pressure on the rim and be able to win without shooting well from three. Obviously, in the modern NBA, three-point shooting is so important. And if you're shooting, you know, 15% from three just randomly in a game, you get kind of unlucky, right? You're not going to win any or a lot of those games. But it's the games where the Kings shoot 30% from three. Like, that can happen a lot. Those are the games that the Kings need to be able to learn how to win. And I think Keegan has to be a big part of that. I felt like you didn't really get involved too much in the offense. And the Kings always try to involve Kevin Herter in the offense really early on. And at this point, I honestly just kind of want to see them involve Keegan Murray more in the offense, especially in ways that get him going downhill towards the basket instead of just spotting up for threes. Part of it lies on himself to get himself involved. And in the start of the third quarter, he definitely looked to be trying to to being more aggressive, but it, it, it didn't go super well. He didn't have a good game in terms of shooting the ball. And so I think a lot of the Kings' ability to win when they're not shooting threes lies on him because you know Fox and Sabonis are usually going to get theirs. But it's like who else on this team is going to score from inside the three-point line? Because Barnes did it last season, but he hasn't really done it as much this season. Herder did it last season. He hasn't done it as much this season. We know Monk can get to the rim. And Trey Lyles at times can be good going to the rim, and there's just not really anyone else off the bench that's going to be able to do that. Keegan also had a, a tough time when he was guarding Trey Young. He just isn't quick enough for Trey Young. Not many people are, and Trey Young's extremely good at uh, getting by guys with his quickness and then forcing them into fouls, and he was really struggling with that. But he also struggled a bit in the first half to guard DeJounte Murray as well, and Murray is extremely smooth you know he had Murray on Murray there but I think he did a better job of, of guarding DeJounte in the second half and was part of keeping DeJounte Murray to a lot less points in the second half and part of it was definitely Murray just going cold and part of it was Keegan's defense on him in the third quarter the Kings kept trapping Trey Young and then Trey Young would get the ball to Jalen Johnson 
who would have Alex, it was Alex Len at the time, right in front of him to contest the shot. And so Jalen Johnson, a lot of times would just go straight at Len and try to finish over him, which didn't go super well for Jalen Johnson. And that's what I was talking about. The Alex Len impact at the rim wasn't getting the blocks, but was deterring a lot of shots. But where the Kings were kind of struggling was to get the rebound after that, because Len is contesting that shot. You have two guys out on the perimeter uh, guarding Trey Young and trying to recover after that pass is made. And so they couldn't get the rebound or it would go out to a three-point shooter. And so there were some good results with trapping Trey Young, but then it felt like the Hawks kind of figured it out. And man, what I would give to have a guy like Jalen Johnson on the Kings right now, a guy that's going to, you know, a wing that's going to go out there and get you 15 rebounds. That's really impressive. And just be a menace defensively. Like Keegan Murray has taken a leap defensively. He had three steals, two blocks in this game, but he's not going out there and getting 15 rebounds at all. And then the Kings went on a run. Fox shooting the three super well. Sabonis getting involved, rolling to the basket from Fox, getting passes from Fox and from Monk. There were definitely a few times where I was getting pretty pissed at the officiating on Demonis Sabonis, where I just felt like he does not get a fair shake at all. Like he gets hit way more than guards do, where guards, you know, are getting these just touch fouls around the rim and he's just getting body slammed down there. And there's just nothing because he's, you know, a big guy and what he should be able to take it and finish through all this contact. And it's just, it's really frustrating. But then I look at his free throws and I'm like, would it even matter if he's getting to the free throw line? He went one for four from the free throw line, but he was doing a pretty good job of finishing around the rim. And he had a few uh, nice middies, a couple at the end of the shot clocks and one just where he attacked. I think it was a Kongwu at the time and then went to the mid range fade in the middle of the paint. So I love those shots for him. Also, something I didn't mention, Davion taking a charge in the third quarter. I know Mike Brown loved that. Also, Keegan in the first half, another moment of trying to take a charge and it just totally backfiring. Like, Davion needs to try to take the charge because he's tiny and he is not going to be able to affect a shot. Keegan, there are so many times where it's like, if he just puts his hand up, he's so long, he can affect these shots. I mean, there's a reason he had three steals and two blocks. He's really long, but he tries to take these charges and he always gets called for the block because guys see it coming. I just wish he would play straight up defense there. But you had Davion taking the charge. There was a moment where Davion passed up an open three, but it was because he had a wide open lane to the rim. And so I was totally okay with it. And honestly, I wish the Kings would do that more not necessarily pass up wide open threes but there are so many times where it just feels like there's no resistance at the rim but they decide to take a three anyways and so that was really good for Davion you know I thought at the at the start of the fourth quarter when the Kings couldn't grab a rebound Trey Young hit two threes I think in in Bogdan Bogdanovich hit one lead got up to 12 I, I thought it was probably over at that point. Uh, but then the Kings just kept making runs. And, you know, the Hawks would make their own little runs back, but the Kings' runs were always bigger. 
and they just slowly chipped away. Fox still draining threes, Monk attacking the rim, Duarte playing big minutes down the stretch, and he hit a huge three to take a three-point lead, and the Kings were just getting stop after stop after stop in that fourth quarter, held the Hawks to 19 points in the fourth quarter, 20 points in the third quarter. So it went from a 71-point half for the Hawks in the first half to a 39-point half. That is an incredible defensive effort from the Kings, one that we've rarely seen this season, if if at all. I mean, a 39-point half. I doubt we've seen that. Duarte and Davion Mitchell are very similar in that they're going to give it their all defensively. They're going to be extremely physical, and it's just their inconsistent both three-point shots and decision-making offensively that hurts them. But I love their effort. And you had Duarte, who lately has been making better decisions with the basketball. And he hit that huge three, had four assists, while only turning it over once. And he drew that offensive foul on Trey Young, where he got called for the foul, and then Mike Brown challenged it. I didn't think Mike Brown was going to win that challenge. And maybe that's just because I have been conditioned to expect any Mike Brown challenge to fail because he has a horrible, uh, you know, su- success percentage on his challenges. But Trey Young did hook his arm. I didn't think it would be enough for the refs to overturn it, but they did, and that was huge. And we kept the Hawks at 110 points for a very long time. They ended with 110 points. They did not score for the last four minutes and 45 seconds of this game. That was an incredible effort from the Kings to be able to win this game with the defense. There were some key plays from Monk down the stretch, especially that drive and dump off to Keegan, who was able to hit the floater as the shot clock expired. And that one, it felt like kind of sealed it because that put the Kings up 116 to 110. As much as this game showed the flaws of the Kings, I already knew those were the flaws. And so I'm just happy that the Kings showed the fight that they just really haven't shown this season to get back into a game, make it a game, and then eventually win it. Because, you know, by the end of it, it could have gone either way, right? But This is what I've been saying. You have the reigning clutch player of the year on your team, and you continuously don't give him the chance to actually play in the clutch and do his thing. And a lot of that is because they just can't get any stops, and that doesn't allow them to get back into games. But in this one, they were able to get those stops, and look what happens. Fox just gets us back into the game on the offensive end. He also did it defensively, got those four steals, but you're also not, he's not getting those four steals if the rest of the team isn't playing better defense because those four steals a lot of times are created by other guys playing defense where they force Hawks into tough positions and having to make tough passes that Fox can then pick off or playing good enough defense to, you know, you know, if a, The Hawks are just getting straight to the rim and getting layups. There's really no chance for Fox to get any steals. It feels like a starting lineup change may be coming, though. 
just with the inconsistency offensively of Kevin Herter and his inability to guard the point of attack with Harrison Barnes, lack of mobility on the defensive end, lack of rebounding. He's been solid from three-point range, but he's not getting to the free throw line as much. He's not scoring as much inside. He's had some good games as of late, and he's been better as of late, uh, especially on the offensive end, but it feels like some change is needed, and I don't know if that's Trey Lyles in the starting lineup for Harrison Barnes or if it's uh, Chris Duarte. I've been asking to see Juan Toscano Anderson. I thought this was going to be the game for it with the way the Kings defense was going, but uh, we still didn't put him in. It's probably a a three-point shooting and spacing thing with him. I hope he does get an opportunity eventually, but um, we've seen Chris Duarte in the starting lineup before this season and when there were injuries, and I wouldn't be opposed to it in this next game against Memphis. Keon Ellis... Uh, you know, didn't get uh, minutes in this one. But for him, this is his first year getting meaningful minutes. And so it's not necessarily surprising that he would lose his rotational spot at some point. And he's just got to fight to to get it back and continue to keep uh, learning and growing. Sasha Vezinkov, though, has fallen out of the rotation, it seems. And I think a lot of that has to do with just how similar he is to other guys on our roster. It's not necessarily, you know, him playing poorly you know he hasn't played great or else he wouldn't have lost his spot but you look at his similarities to Trey Lyles and Trey Lyles is a better player he's a very similar player to Harrison Barnes and he's pretty similar to Kevin Herter I think him and Kevin Herter are extremely similar players actually I think the differences between them is one is getting paid 17 and a half million or whatever and um has a starting spot and the expectations are just higher and you have Sasha getting paid 7 million and you know it's his first year in the NBA but they're both I think solid team defenders not great at the point of attack both obviously three-point specialists who haven't had the best years from three and so I think with Sasha it's probably going to be he's gonna get he's gonna get opportunities to play sometimes, especially when the Kings go small. So Trey Lyles is at the five. Sasha will be at the four. They don't really want to play Sasha at the three. And then the Kings probably, I'm guessing at this season, are going to make trades to try to balance out the team better. And he'll either be involved in those trades or he'll benefit and get more minutes because of them. And because the Kings are just an unbalanced team with a lot of similar players that I think they need to trade some of those similar players like I listed with Sasha, Lyles, Herter, Barnes. You need to trade some of those players to get more defensive, athletic players. Because you, we know you have to give up talent to get talent. So the Kings will, you know, if they make those trades, they'd have to give up guys that are in the rotation. And so... That's where I kind of see Sasha being able to get those minutes, and I think he's a good enough player to be a rotational player in the NBA just with the right fit. And he'll still get minutes here and there, especially when the, the Kings have to go small, but for now, it's, he's definitely out of the rotation. The Kings' next game will be in Memphis on the third game of their three-game road trip on New Year's Eve. Memphis is playing, as I'm recorded this, against the Clippers. 
They just lost and got blown out by Denver. This game will be Memphis's third game in four nights. But before that game against Denver, Memphis had looked really good, or at least a lot better than they did without John Morant. Because without John Morant, I believe they were 6-19, and and now they're 10-20. and They've gone 4-1 since he returned. We've seen Keegan be the guy to guard the smaller guards and the lead guards for other teams. I don't feel like that'll be the case in this one because I think John Morant's just too fast and explosive for Keegan. So I, I think it will be Fox that takes up that matchup unless we make a starting lineup change and maybe it's Chris Duarte. The rim protection could be a problem. We don't want Sabonis getting in foul trouble. So it's going to be on everyone to keep John Morant out of the paint and try to disrupt him. I can definitely also see Jaron Jackson Jr. being a problem just because of his size inside. But the best way to counter Jaron Jackson Jr. is just get him in foul trouble on the other end. So I hope the Kings come out and are just attacking him immediately. And I just want a game where the Kings don't get down a bunch right away. Because before, I was just asking, okay, if you're going to get down big, at least, you know, fight back and make it competitive. And now I'm asking, how about we just don't get down in the first place? You look at the the Grizzlies record, 10 and 20, 2 and 11 at home. Obviously, that looks horrible, but we can't look at that and really take anything from it because they didn't have their best player. And that makes a, a huge impact, them having John Morant. And so it should be a good game. It should be a tough game. And let's see, do I have any other takeaways from this game? Uh, Monk's playmaking was good, but he turned the ball over way too much and was too lazy with the ball. And then also, DeMontis Sabonis had an underrated game. I feel like I didn't even talk about it that much, but he did have a, a really good game offensively. And then Darren Fox's three-point shooting. I'm just wondering how long it will take teams to adjust and and play him as if he's Steph Curry at this point. Because the way he's shooting, like, <laughs> it's, it's just crazy the strides he's made. And it'll be interesting to see how teams continue to evolve the way they defend him at the three-point line. Because it's clear that teams, you know, they're aware, but... I feel like a lot of teams still feel like their best shot is forcing him to take threes. And at some point, if he keeps shooting the way he is, that will change. Anyways, that is it for this episode of the Roller Report. I will be back on Sunday to recap the game against the Memphis Grizzlies. Peace.